0: All you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome one and all to episode 287 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Kinea number episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that uh, the Kinea number which is uh, basically, if you're looking at a formula, it would be 4n plus 2n plus 1 minus 1. Yeah, that's a Kynea number. Um, not sure why they need to have an integer of the form of that specific formula, but that's what it is. And it just happens to be that 287... Is a Kynia number. That's right. And with that wonderful little bit of Kynia number knowledge, I, of course, am mad. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee,
1: Tim. And it's heating up here in sunny SoCal, where it's a balmy hundred and thirty. or well, it was a balmy 113 degrees over the weekend. People were literally melting in their leather pants.
0: I would believe it. Don't know why you would wear leather pants in 113 degree heat, but hey, to each their own. Well,
1: that's what happens. You get laid when you get off the plane, you know, stereotypically when you go to Hawaii. In California, you step off the airplane, they just give you tight leather pants.
0: And why were you stepping off the plane in L.A. to receive leather pants?
1: Well, because I was coming back. I was coming back from Sacramente, where I was meeting up with the old... The old, more significant S.O. checking out the wedding venue for the first time, and which is important. It's important for the groom to at least see the wedding venue that has been chosen without the groom present. And it's a very lovely place. Luckily, I approved, and I didn't feel like it was going to be... Meh, it'll work. <laughs> so,
0: we're coming off of our... 4th of July and everything, so how was your 4th of July, sir? It was pretty
1: low-key. Uh, what did you
0: guys do? You had that block party, right? Not a block party as such. We we just had the old uh, barbecue and fireworks and stuff. I, mean, it, it, I guess technically it was a block party, because just about everybody from the block was here, but um officially it was not listed as such so we had everyone come over did the hot dogs and steaks and the you know and and pork chops and hamburgers and smoked sausages and um smoked cigars although you know just kind of sliding off on a pun if you will there um and then uh once it got all nice and dark we did some fireworks, which was very nice because it had literally rained all day long, so we were kind of wondering whether or not we would even get a chance to do some fireworks so but it all worked out.
1: we had a blast, and uh yeah yeah we uh we decided to forego going to the beach uh because it was kind of warmish out it was going to be packed, and we didn't we wanted to go see fireworks but Uh, We just really didn't want to deal with people. So we thought, you know, I think we ought to go see a movie. And we should go see a movie that we can't take all that seriously, but hopefully we can make little jabs at. And uh, yeah, so we decided to go see The First Purge. Quickly did we uh, realize that that was a horrible mistake. At least you realized it quickly. We did, but we realized it so quick, we then realized, shit, we still have... Another hour and 35 minutes of the movie left. Oh, uh, well, that's sad. You know who did enjoy Fourth of July? I don't I don't know if you've heard about this or not, but uh, a margarita-loving bear thoroughly enjoyed its Fourth of July. A
0: margarita-loving bear?
1: Yes, one would consider the best kind of bear.
0: I guess I missed something. Was this, like, something in the news or something, or...?
1: It we- is! the HuffingtonPost.com. I'll just tell you a little bit about it. We can all relate to bears more so than we thought here, via, I guess, the weird news section of HuffPost. The title of the article is, Margarita Loving Bear Lives Its Best Life by Taking a Dip in a Hot Tub... Written by Elise Oneshell, and quickly it says this, A bear in California decided to start its 4th of July celebration a few days early by pre-partying in a stranger's backyard. On Friday, Mark Ho was fixing to beat the summer heat with a margarita on his lush Altadena property when he heard a noise. KABC-TV and the Associated Press reported, At first, he dismissed it as likely his neighbor moving around next door, but when it intensified, he got up to investigate and saw a bear climbing over his fence. Ho took a video of this uninvited guest, who was clearly on the prowl for more than the usual honey, porridge, or some such needed pants. In the edited video above of this article here, which you can check out, you can see that the bear is bopping around in Ho's unheated jacuzzi while dogs bark in the background, after the party animal took a dip, Ho said it knocked over the margarita he'd left behind when he scuffled indoors and lapped it all up. Later on in the day, Ho was chatting with a neighbor when he spotted the bear taking a siesta in a nearby tree, saying, quote, So he had his margarita, he had his jacuzzi, and now he's ready for an hour nap, end quote, Ho told KABC. Bear sightings aren't totally unheard of in Southern California. In June, a mama bear and her cubs were spotted playing in a family's pool in Eaton Canyon, close to Pasadena. And the article goes on for a little bit there. Uh, You can check out this video, Margarita Loving Bear Lives Its Best Life by Taking a Dip in a Hot Tub via the Weird News Section of Huff Post. Matthew, can you relate in some way to this margarita-loving, siesta-taking bear? Sadly, no. But
0: it's nice to, it's nice to see nature kind of living up an anthropomorphized version of what we see when we think of bears and cartoons and such. So, shall we go ahead and dive into some real news? Let's take a dip! You know, I take that back. Because it truly was real news about the bear. So, shall we say, show pertinent news?
1: Show pertinent it up?
0: Ah, well, it's an A for effort. Here we go, folks. It's the news. <laughs> All right, and this is the first up for me. Actually, it's a surprise article. I forgot I had this. Uh, from CBR.com, by way of John Arvidon, Fox shareholder sues to stop Disney merger. Oh, no. Uh, or maybe it should be. Oh, no. All right. Anyway, while 21st Century Fox shareholders are poised to meet on July 27th to discuss the Walt Disney Company's bid to purchase a majority of the company's assets, not everyone under the Fox umbrella appears to be on board with the House of Mouse's $71.3 billion acquisition. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Robert Weiss is leading other Fox shareholders in a lawsuit filed in Delaware federal court which, quote alleges that a proxy statement filed on June 28th omits or misrepresents the company's financial projections and the data underlying financial valuation analyzes, and I'm sorry, analyses from Goldman Sachs and Centerview Partners, end quote. Um, Yeah, so he just thinks that uh, basically what this boils down to is that uh, the shareholders are going to vote on something when they're not getting all the information. And they think these these guys think that uh 20th Century Fox is is actually I'm sorry, 21st Century Fox is purposely undervaluing their stuff so that they can get a better buyout deal just so they can unload. And then of course that doesn't help the shareholders as much. However, Disney raised its offer because Comcast was trying to get in on this shit. So they went to, so Disney went to $71.3 billion. That's $38 a share price. That's about $10 a share higher than the original offer from Disney back in December. And it's also $3 above Comcast's most recent bid. Now, of course, Comcast could jump back as the article talks here. It's, it says that Comcast could definitely jump back into this thing and bid again. Uh, and, Fox declined to comment uh, to anyone about this. So, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Um, what do you think, Tim? Do you think this will have any real bearing on whether or not uh, Fox buys – I'm sorry, Fox sells to Disney?
1: I just hope Disney doesn't succeed. I mean, that's the last thing Disney needs is another freaking studio and company. And <laughs> yes, they, don't, they just don't need any more your- control. No, I, I I
0: see what you I, I see what you're getting at. But the but you have to remember that the more they buy, the easier it is to overextend. And if they overextend, that means they have to sell. Ooh. So I actually want this to go through because what I would like for once and for all is to finally get things back into the fold. So that we, so that we can enjoy things the way that they were meant to be enjoyed in terms of the Marvel universe and the Star Wars universe. I also think it would be interesting to see what Disney decides to let go of beyond getting back the stuff from Star Wars and the stuff from Marvel. Um, so I, I don't think that it's as bad as all that. I think they're going to keep the, the, what they think is going to be the most valuable to them. And then I think they're just going to turn around and sell or shutter everything else. And then we're still not any worse off than we are now. It's just one corporate entity to another. Not to mention, as they get bigger and bigger and bigger, it becomes easier for them to stumble. And then they have to sell, sell, sell. Which could also be good for us down the road. I personally do not want Comcast to get this shit. So, I mean, I realize we're picking the lesser of two evils here. But... If I have to choose between Disney and Comcast, I go to the mouse immediately because fuck Comcast.
1: It's the handling of the properties I'd be worried about with Disney. I mean, yeah, it'd be great. X-Men, Fantastic Four, whatever else Fox has or had. The fact is, is that Disney will not be spreading itself out thin Therefore, suffering any type of repercussions for many, 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 many years to come, they're going to benefit a great deal if they succeed in, with this because they're they're going to own uh, the Simpsons, Deadpool, which Deadpool is now a big money maker. I mean, loads of other properties from both music to the use of the studio itself, TV shows, reality TV shows, also through distribution, because Fox also through... Shit, is Fox Searchlight still a thing? Probably not. I can't remember anymore. But through distribution of of films. So they're going to be still making a ton of revenue, and the money that they put down, they're going to make a portion of that back with the next couple Star Wars movies, or the next couple Marvel movies, even... I wouldn't expect any repercussions from spreading themselves too thin to happen for quite a while. Well, one never knows, and one can always hope. True. So, yeah. And, <laughs> and all <crying>. right.
0: <laughs> exactly. And so shifting gears slightly to other court filings, from BBC.com, uh, strictly by way of BBC, there is no direct attribution, from the entertainment and arts section, Johnny Demp. Demp? What the, you know, Judy Dench, her brother-in-law, Johnny Dench, what? I don't know. Uh Johnny Depp, quote, punched crew member in drunken tirade, end quote. That's right, Johnny Depp is being sued for allegedly punching a crew member who tried to wrap up filming on the set of his upcoming film, City of Lies. Court documents filed by Greg Rocky Brooks in Los Angeles claim the actor, 50, 55, punched him twice in the ribs during a foul mouth tirade outside Los Angeles' Barclay Hotel. The papers also state the actor, quote, reeked of alcohol, end quote, and took drugs on set. Depp's bodyguards were forced to remove the actor from the set, it said. That's right. As part of the altercation, though, Mr. Brooks alleges that after Depp had verbally and physically assaulted him, the actor offered him $100,000 to punch him in the face in return. (laughs) The location manager is seeking unspecified damages from Depp, director Brad Furman, producer Miriam Furman, and the production company Good Film Productions. So... Uh, basically, what this all boils down to... That's just the first part of the article. not even... I guess probably about the first third of that article. I'm going to go ahead and stop there and just kind of sum up here for you. Basically, they were on a timetable in this particular location. They had already had their... Uh, time limit extended one time, but unfortunately, as is often the case in movies, delays do happen for whatever reason. And they could not get another extension. And so, this Greg Rocky Brooks fella was gonna, was actually trying to get things wrapped up so that they wouldn't get in trouble and cause a whole bunch of other shit. And Depp wasn't having it, and that's when he lost his shit, apparently, and started punching this guy. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, Tim, you mentioned that uh, he's been kind of having a whole bunch of issues in the, in this particular movie, or at least on the set. Thoughts on this particular filing?
1: Yeah, well, so a couple months ago, or maybe not even a couple months ago, it could have even been a month ago, they were doing some scenes, and uh, I think it was out in public, like on the, on the streets somewhere, and their permit, Was about to expire. Uh, Well, shit, was it the permit or maybe it was like union regulations? You know, union hours were about to come to an end. I, I can't remember the details. By law, they had to stop shooting or, you know, there would be a lot of repercussions. And when the director or the uh, the second AD came up and said, okay, we have to stop shooting right now, Johnny Depp just got so fucking pissed off and was yelling and said, no, we're going to do this right now, and I'm going to direct. And he just directed while the director of the film, the real, the actual, <laughs> on paper director of the film, was just like, well, there's nothing I can do because nobody can tell Johnny Depp to shut the fuck up. And I don't know if Johnny Depp was just in character or what. He's also producing the movie, so maybe he has a lot at stake. It just has been an incredibly rough, rough, rough shooting experience for this crew.
0: Yeah, so that's the first bit of my news. Uh, why don't you go ahead and jump in with some fun stuff from your end?
1: I don't think anybody has ever said that in a sentence and meant it in the way that I took it, if you know what I mean. Anyways, for my first bit of news from my end, via the NewYorkTimes.com com. Tab Hunter, 86, 1950s Hollywood heartthrob is dead. This here is written by Al Jean Harmitz and it was published on July 9th. And it says this, Tab Hunter, the tall, blonde, blue-eyed movie star who as a teenage idol in the 1950s was one of the last products of the Hollywood studio system and who made an unlikely comeback in a very un-Hollywood film when he was almost 50. Died on Sunday in Santa Barbara, California. He was 86. His death was confirmed by his spouse, Alan Glasser, who said that the cause was cardiac arrest after a blood clot moved from Mr. Hunter's leg to his lung. Arthur Galeen was 17 when the agent Henry Wilson gave him a new name and added him to a roster of clients that included Rock Hudson, Robert Wagner, and Rory Calhoun— Quote, acting skill, end quote, Mr. Hunter said in his 2005 autobiography, Tab Hunter Confidential, quote, was secondary to chiseled features and a fine physique, end quote. He might not have had the skill, at least not yet, but he had the look. He was the epitome of the sunny all-American boy enshrined in decades of Hollywood films. His first audition for Island of Desire, from 1952, consisted of taking off his shirt. The screen test came later. On the basis of that movie, in which he played a brash marine corporal marooned with Linda Darnell on a South Seas island, the readers of Photoplay magazine voted him the year's number one new male star. His breakthrough movie was Battle Cry from 1955, in which he played another Marine at the beginning of World War II who has a girlfriend back home and a steamy love affair with married USO volunteer played by Dorothy Malone in San Diego. Its success led to a seven-year contract with Warner Brothers. In February 1956, Mr. Hunter received a reported 62,000 Valentines. He was the dream date of teenage girls on several continents and had a secret— It was not until 50 years later, after Battle Cry, when he wrote his autobiography that he publicly discussed his homosexuality, his love affair with the actor Anthony Perkins, the rage and wrath of his parish priest, when, as a 14-year-old boy, he haltingly confessed what had happened in the dark of a movie theater, and years of being, quote, "...painfully isolated, stranded between the casual homophobia of most normal people and the flagrantly gay Hollywood subculture, where I was even less comfortable and less accepted." End quote. He was most comfortable on horseback, a lifelong passion. He had been discovered while shoveling manure at a riding academy in return for being allowed to ride— During his heady Warner Brothers years, he bought horses and cars that he could not afford. He had never had money before. Now it spilled through his fingers. And the article goes on from there for quite a bit more. I probably read only 20-25% of it there. It's definitely worth the read. Tab Hunter is a fascinating individual... And there's actually a documentary based off his autobiography, Tab Hunter Confidential. I believe it was on Amazon Prime or Hulu Plus. I can't remember. It might have even been on Netflix. But it's on a streaming service somewhere that you all should watch. It's a fascinating film because it talked about how he became like blacklisted uh, once it came out that he was gay. Nobody wanted to hire him. He was out of work for a while, and he actually made his comeback in a John Waters movie. In the early 80s, I I think it was. Uh, I'd say late 70s, why not? 1981, John Walter's Polyester. Do check it out. Fantastic article and a fantastic documentary. Again, that documentary is Tab Hunter Confidential, and the article was via the NewYorkTimes.com. Tab Hunter, 86, 1950s Hollywood heartthrob is dead. Next up, via SlashFilm.com. Logan director James Mangold warns against extreme fan backlash. This here is written by Hoy Tran Bui, and it says this. The fan outrage around Rian Johnson's direction of Star Wars The Last Jedi has become so torrid that directors who have nothing to do with Star Wars are starting to get roped in or perhaps out of some noble Jedi instinct, they're stepping in to defend the director from the fan backlash that has been going on for more than six months now. James Mangold, who has a pretty good standing within the geek community for helming the terrific Logan and scoring an Oscar nomination for it, is the latest to chime in to tell fans to just chill. But he has more to say than just calm down. Mangold warns that if fans take their extreme backlash too far, it could result in their worst fears coming true. There's a beloved sci-fi series whose characters preach, quote, fear is the path to the dark side, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering, end quote. Well, James Mangold says that the anger surrounding Star Wars The Last Jedi could stroke a new kind of dark side in Hollywood, a future in which Quote, hacks and corporate boards, end quote, direct blockbuster movies and any unique creativity is stifled. Quote, at the point when work, writing, and directing big franchises has become the emotionally loaded equivalent of writing a new chapter of the Bible, with the probable danger of being stoned and called a blasphemer, then a lot of bolder minds are going to leave these films to hacks and corporate boards, end quote, mingled rights. When someone replied saying that was already the case, Mangold responded that directors like Rian Johnson and Christopher McQuarrie are not, quote, owned, "quote" by any corporation, despite popular belief. They are the ones fighting behind the scenes for fans, Mangold said. The reason that Mangold mentioned Christopher McQuarrie is that the Mission Impossible Fallout director was innocently tagged in a tweet by Johnson who recommended to his followers that they follow McQuarrie for writing advice. But the anti-Last Jedi trolls immediately descended and flooded both their mentions, leading McQuarrie to speak out publicly in defense of Johnson and declare that he would never direct a Star Wars film despite a lifelong wish to do so. That mingled who wasn't inadvertently tagged or anything, nobly leapt to both their defenses, is a sign that this fan backlash in the progressively toxic Star Wars fandom is getting out of hand. Though we've pointed that out time and time again. End all quotes there. Logan director James Mangold warns against extreme fan backlash, written by Hoy Tran Bui via SlashFilm.com. Matt, what do you think about the passing of Tab Hunter and... The series of tweets from James Mangold.
0: Well, it's sad. Again, uh, you know me. I'm a big fan of history and stuff, and it's always kind of sad when we lose one of these links to the, you know, yesteryear of Hollywood. Good, bad, and indifferent, because he clearly got to experience it all. So that'll be interesting to kind of look uh, look into his life a little bit further. Um, in, in terms of James Mangold, well, I mean, I agree, but I, I guess I, you know, like in the little bubble thing, right? You know, sometimes I mostly agree. I'm going to say mostly agree. Um, I, I think, yes, you want to be careful of an overall fan backlash. I do, however, think that the, sjw aspect to attacking anything and everything that the star wars fandom comes to know and love um will really only backfire on the it's just going to backfire on the people who are supporting it which are these supposedly toxic people and that's not to say that there aren't shitheads out there this is the internet and of course there are shitheads out there but i don't and it is, in my opinion, only that the preponderance of Star Wars fans are not this toxic community that you call, keep hearing about. But there is no denying the fact that people are upset with the way things are going in the Star Wars universe and the saga stuff, as we talked about last week with Solo and the, you know, potential for the different direction that Lucasfilm is going in in terms of any standalone projects and stuff like that. So, I, I think that there's something to be said for, you know, not biting the hand that feeds you. And whether or not we have to completely placate those people or not is, I think, still kind of up in the air. What I do think we need to do is get back to just Getting good storytelling going in there. And the only way that that's going to happen is if, is basically if they leave everybody else alone. If they leave what we know and love alone and just move forward and make it its own thing. So that's what I feel. That's how I feel about those. And I mean, you know, without going on ad nauseum too late, that's where I'm at.
1: I agree with you. You're going to have a lot of opinions, especially with The Last Jedi, because it's Star Wars. It's a direct link from the original trilogy of movies. I wasn't a big fan of The Last Jedi, but I caught—I watched the first maybe 40 minutes of it on Netflix, because I just realized it was on Netflix streaming, and I I appreciated it significantly more than the first time I saw it. And even when I went back to the theater to see it again— for the second time, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Once this hatred, the backlash, subsides, it could be maybe 10 years from now, I think people are gonna look back on the movie fondly. Now, are there still a lot of issues with the movie? I totally think so, but it's by no means an awful movie. I just think the overall issue is how the movie studio, how Kathleen Kennedy, how the creative minds behind this new trilogy are just handling the trilogy as a whole. And I don't think they're really balancing the fan service and the new direction equally or correctly even. I think that's why this one felt quite mismatched. A good example of a movie directly affected by fan backlash, is Alien Covenant. Because when Prometheus came out, Matt, you and I enjoyed the movie, thoroughly enjoyed the movie. It was both different from Alien in Aliens, but it was very entertaining, and it felt like you were watching a continuation of the Alien film. People were upset with Prometheus. They thought it was too smart. And granted, Matt, I know you liked Covenant. It was not nearly as smart and well-made as Prometheus. And what we got was more of a slasher, obvious monster movie that didn't work well with all the things that the movie had a cover set up by Prometheus. It's the way it is because of how everybody was complaining about Prometheus. So it definitely does happen. And I do think it's unfortunately what we have to put up with due to social media. I think people, if you don't like a movie... It's just a fucking movie. Since you
0: kind of left off with a director, I'm going to jump in with a director here. So, uh, also from CBR.com by way of Mira Jacobs, James Gunn. Spoilers shouldn't be able to ruin a good movie. Yes, Mira writes, James Gunn, writer and director of Marvel Studios' Guardians of the Galaxy films, has stepped into the long-running debate over spoilers, a typically loaded subject among fans. Let's see here. She moves on. She's quoting some tweets here. She says, Quote, If a movie can be ruined by spoilers, it's not a good movie. End quote. Gunn, who was also an executive producer on Avengers Infinity War and its untitled sequel, tweeted. He then clarified that he wasn't about to be the one issuing spoilers for those who didn't want them. Quote, I'm opposed to spoiling things for folks, but studies show knowing spoilers only very slightly affects the viewer's pleasure, if at all. End quote. There. Now, I don't know exactly. I'm going to stop reading there because there's not a whole lot left of the article.
1: So what please. study? Yeah, that was my immediate. Question. What the fuck studies have been? And who done? are they going to get? People that hate spoilers. Oh, hey, I know you hate spoilers, <laughs> but we're going to ruin all of, say, Star Wars for you, and you watch it and tell us what if it if it ruined if it affected your. We we love fucking movies. We like to experience a movie. We're not going to sit down for no stupid study. Yeah. And that's why I, I don't, so
0: I don't know. Maybe, maybe I think he's just kind of using the colloquial studies of shown thing. Um, it just kind of a way to, um, sh- to, to demonstrably put his learned opinion into play, I think is more than likely. But just to, again, this is the entire tweet. Uh, it is also listed in this article. The tweet is quote, if a movie can be ruined by spoilers, it's not a good movie. I'm opposed to spoiling things for folks, but studies show knowing spoilers only very slightly affects the viewer's pleasure if at all and sometimes increases the pleasure of a well-crafted film and quote and tweet the and sometimes increases the pleasure of a well-crafted film is parenthetical. Um, I I cannot overstate how much I disagree respectfully but just completely disagree with Mr. Gunn in this regard i am i am fine with the idea that there are people out there who don't care about spoilers i know several of them uh for example uh i know we mentioned him last week but johnny white trash isn't doesn't generally really care about spoilers my wife is someone who doesn't care about spoilers because she doesn't really pay that much attention to it so if she thinks something's been spoiled or whatever it doesn't really register for her because by the time she gets around to seeing whatever it is she's generally forgotten about it anyway so th- so i get it that there are people out there that you could honestly say don't care about spoilers for one reason or another but i do not believe that if you that that if you spoil i mean here's an easy one Uh, usual suspects if someone goes into usual suspects who's never seen it before and they know about kevin spacey i really and truly think that the movie is virtually ruined because what makes repeat viewings of a movie of that caliber so fun is now that you know what it is that the twist is or that the big that's a big spoiler is now you get to have fun of going back and watching the film to see where those clues were that you missed. And I think that helps make a better audience member because it helps them appreciate things going forward. It helps clue them in for things that they should look for in other well-crafted movies. Um, I, I, but I do believe that you can ruin a movie by, by spoiling it for people. Um, and that is and that that is where I am at, and I don't know. Tim, I would like to think that you, for the most part, agree with me on that one.
1: Of course. I mean, <laughs> there are movies that are character-driven, movies that are story-driven, movies that are visually driven, and then there are movies that are all the above. A movie that's visually driven, like Wending Reffin's Oh shoot. Only if it's the only God forgives movie. I think it was the follow-up to Drive. It took place in Thailand and it had Ryan Gosling who's trying to avenge someone's death. The cinematography in the movie is Enter the Void is another one of these movies. Cinematography is absolutely beautiful. But the movie is not really good. If anything got spoiled story-wise for those particular films is not that big of a deal. Now A movie like David Fincher's Seven. If Seven got spoiled for me, especially knowing that Kevin Spacey was in the movie, because David Fincher in the studio went through great lengths not to publicize the fact that Kevin Spacey appears in the movie about 75% into the movie. And it makes that experience so much better when you find out he's the serial killer. It's exciting. So... I I just don't know. I, I don't get it. People, I mean, I think those of you who do get it, understand it, but don't really feel the need to bring it up or talk about it because why, why the fuck not? You know, unfortunately, this is the culture. I mean, people are going to keep bitching about it. People are going to keep writing articles about stuff like this. Podcasters are going to keep bringing up this topic. Spoiling movies only shows... That if once you know the spoil, you can still enjoy the movie. Yeah, you might enjoy the movie, but are you going to still enjoy the movie to the effect that you would have if you didn't know what the spoil was to begin with? Fight Club is another movie. I mean, holy shit. Like With me, I I guess, and the last thing I'll say about this particular thing, because I can just go on and on and on about this, I don't like hearing anything about a movie. For example, Gladiator. I haven't seen Gladiator in quite some time. I kind of forgot little bits and pieces that happen towards the end. Character and story elements that lead up to the end of the flick, to Maximus's ultimate demise, I suppose. And so when I was in Sacramento over the weekend, the more significant SO's parents had the movie on. And we kind of caught it midway through. And they just started making these comments. And it's like, yeah, I, I remember he dies at the end but it's the style of the movie what the how the director chooses to get from point a to point b that still makes me heartbroken whenever he does die you know it's those little bits of nuances and and and, and flourishes that most of us just don't really remember until we go back and revisit a movie we just don't want that shit to be spoiled <laughs>
0: All right, real, real quick here, and I'll turn it back over to you, sir. I just want to, I, I found some interesting information from BoxOfficeMojo.com. Turns out that already, already, Incredibles 2, with a lifetime gross of $507 million, $507.3 million, is now the number one PG movie of all time. It's already beaten out 2017's Beauty and the Beast and Finding Dory. So, good job, Incredibles 2. Uh, is is that surprising to you, Tim? This quickly? I mean, this quickly?
1: No, not really. I mean, we haven't had a really good Disney-Pixar movie like this in quite some time. Uh, I mean, the great thing about Incredibles 2 is that it's just pure enjoyment. It's fun. It's not trying to tug at your heartstrings. It's not trying to make you sad and depressed and want to cut yourself after watching it it's just a fun <laughs> and entertaining movie and that's what people want to see that's why we love the incredibles you know the first film no nah, it doesn't surprise me at all but i bet it sure a shit surprised uh disney and, and brad bird because i don't think they were expecting <laughs> anybody to really give a shit about incredibles
0: well I guess it shows that people really
1: have been waiting for a while. So anyways, uh, what else you got for us, sir? All right. So my last two pieces of news. First up from the ChronicleHerald.ca. PEI Drive-In Owner says Disney policy hurting small town theaters. This here is written by Alec Cook, the Canadian Press, and it was published on July 8th, updated on the 9th. It says this. The owner of a drive-in theater in Prince Edward Island says a requirement that cinemas screen most new Disney releases for a minimum of three weeks is choking out small-town business. Bob Boyle, owner of the Brakely Drive-In Theater, said the standard has become a bigger problem since Disney acquired Marvel Entertainment and the Star Wars franchise, and he expects the issue to reach its breaking point now that the Titan plans to acquire 21st Century Fox. Ah, another reason to not like this merger. Boyle said that while Cineplex, Canada's largest movie theater company, can afford to take up their screens for weeks at a time. There isn't enough demand to keep playing a film for three weeks straight in smaller communities, especially in a single-screen theater. Saying, so, quote, If we don't have quality film on screen, week in and week out, we're an empty parking lot. Without people and without film, that's what makes the magic happen. End quote. The Brakely Drive-In Theater has been operating since the 1950s and has been in Boyle's home for nearly 30 years. Boyle said that drive-in theaters, especially in the Maritimes, only have a short window of profitability during the summer months, and they need to show a variety of films during that time to keep customers watching. Disney also implemented another policy within the past couple of years that prevents theaters from showing double features of movies that haven't screened before. Boyle said that this rule makes it even more difficult to come up with a good program, saying there's, quote, no point, end quote, in showing a months-old movie that the theater has already screened. Quote, Disney is putting hurdle after hurdle in place. End quote, he said, explaining that he has had no issues with Warner Brothers, Universal Studios, and other film companies. Quote, no other studio does this, end quote. He added that not being able to watch the films they want in theaters may drive some customers to pirating films, furthering the decline of the already endangered movie theater industry. Disney could not immediately be reached for comment, but a company spokeswoman told CTV Atlantic that each film is negotiated on an individual basis and that the company does not restrict all films to a three-week minimum. In response, Boyle said he never claimed that Disney has this regulation for all of their films, noting that they have made exceptions in the past, although he reiterated that the rule applies to the, quote, vast majority, end quote, of their new releases. He said there's no hard copy of the policy, but he understands that Disney could cut off its relationship with his theater if he doesn't play a movie for as long as the company tells him to. Uh, And the article does go on for a bit, more Matt comments questions concerns well okay I'm a, I'm of two
0: minds I guess you could say to, to, to quote two-face from the Batman series but on the one hand yes evil corporate being evil corporate is bad and you should feel bad so we don't want Disney you know completely hogging it up especially for smaller theaters on the flip side, the guy admits that they've made that they've made exceptions before, and then he qualifies. He's like, "Oh, well, it's just the vast majority of the time." Well, now we've gone from objective to subjective, and I I kind of feel like this guy's got a bit of an agenda of his own, and that's fine because at least in to to you know to give him the benefit of the doubt his agenda is trying to keep small town cinema alive so fine fine i'm 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 hep to the jive but he needs i think he needed to be more forthright i think he needed to come out and say this is the percentage of movies that disney does this to this is when and how they make exceptions Um, in, in my experience or in the experience of the people that I am specifically dealing with and or representing. Because when he comes in all balls to the wall, right? He's going, he's going ham. Well, Disney turns around and says, hang on. Well, that's not true. A hundred percent. Here's what's up. And then the guy's like, oh, well, yeah, but it kind of, it, it kind of takes his credibility down a notch. And I am all for. Make as much money as you can, however you can, as long as it's legal. But at the same time, uh, I do think that you have to be careful not to completely alienate the rest of the world. So, eh, I guess is at the end of the day,
1: eh, is what I have to say about it. Eh. Well, that works. <laughs> to wrap up the news... Via SlashFilm.com again, Nicholas Winding Refn's streaming service will offer cold classics to stream for free. Written by Chris Evangelista. Evangelicalista? Evangelista? Oh well. And this was published on July 8th it says this everybody is launching their own streaming services these days Apple Disney YouTube and even Nicholas Winding Refn yes the director behind Drive and The Neon Demon is setting up his own website where he plans to stream films and host essays Now the director has announced several cult classics he plans to make available to stream first and a new piece for the guardian filmmaker Nicholas Winding Refn has revealed the first few films he plans to stream on his website by NWR.com. And best of all, the films will be available for free. Saying, quote, I want it to be an uncontrolled place for beautiful chaos where everyone can create their own universe and is free to speak their own mind without being overseen by big business, a place of free speech and free access. Over recent years, I've bought and had restored scores of old movies as a hobby. I wondered what to do with them. Then I realized I should share them for free. So I set up a website where they could be streamed. There's no catch. You're not being sold anything. Take it or leave it. End all quotes there. Uh, The movies that he is planning on showing, first off are Curtis Harrington's Night Tide, Burt Williams's The Nest of the Cuckoo Birds, Ron Orman's The Burning Hell, and Dale Berry's Hot Thrills and Warm Chills. I think this is pretty cool, personally. I mean, why not? I mean, a a lot of these guys. Tarantino does this as well. It's a hobby. They're able to afford buying these prints. They can also afford to clean them up a bit, do a little bit of restoration, and digitize them. I think this is great. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Nicholas Winding Refn's films. I love Drive, and I love his visual style. Kind of like what we were talking about before. His movies are all styled and interesting stories, but the writing and the pacing isn't all there. But I appreciate him as a filmmaker. His films are definitely uh, watchable. I I commend him for doing this, especially for making it for free and making it like a fun, no-holds-bar, do-whatever-you-want website for people just go and unload on various topics regarding film and the website is of course by nwr.com b-y-n-w-r dot com and that's my news all right well i
0: had two other pieces of news i was going to get to but we're already way 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 over on news so i'm just going to say very very quickly uh, that i found out I've, i actually found this information out from comicbook.com uh, by way of Connor Casey, it says, Netflix has a page where you can request TV shows and movies. Uh, apparently nobody knew about this. I didn't know about this. People on Twitter were like, what the hell? Literally nobody knows about this. But yes, if you go to help.netflix.com slash en slash title request, you can actually go and request up to three titles. And I just tried the link. It worked great. Um, If you don't want to go through all of that, you can always just go to comicbook.com and look up this article again. Netflix has a page where you can request TV shows and movies. And that is my news as well. Yay! So, next week, though, we're going to be doing a fun three-squared. That's going to be our bonus segment. Our bonus segment uh for the three-squared is actually going to be our picks for movies that were never made dun 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 that's right we kind of turned it on its ear uh it was uh kind of a fun one there so we're gonna talk about uh our picks for our favorite movies that we wish got made and that at this point are never going to be made but who knows it i suppose it's in the realm of statistical probability but uh anyway so that's going to be our bonus segment for next week. And without further ado, shall we get to the movies, sir? Let's do it. Here we go, folks. It's... The Movie All right, and this week's movies are Ant-Man and the Wasp and... The First Purge Tim Are we going to go with Terrible Or Not quite so terrible But not wonderful either
1: How about Terrible And God I hope it's The Purge Or The First Purge (laughs) Yep
0: (laughs) The First Purge Tonight
1: allows people A release For all the hatred And violence That they keep up Inside them it won't bring him back. It won't make you feel any better. Thank you. It is a night that is defining our country.
0: Citizens, this will be a tradition we celebrate every year. Join the first purge.
1: Isaiah, come say bye.
0: Go do your thing, sis. Always. I'll see you tonight.
1: People are now calling this controversial experiment of legalized crime the purge.
0: Do not purge. You and Isaiah just stay with me during the Purge. Oh, we're
1: going to be fine
0: on our own. We are here with Dr. May Updale.
1: She came up with this experiment. Is the Purge a political device?
0: It is a psychological one. If we want to save our country, we must release all our anger in one night. Tonight, we'll see the good and evil in everyone. This is your emergency broadcast system announcing announcing the commencement of the first purge.
1: Our neighborhood is under siege from a government who doesn't give a shit about any of us.
0: At the Siren, all crime, including murder, will be legal for 12 hours. There's a lot of good people out there who we are gonna have to
1: protect. All emergency services will be suspended. We gotta be prepared for anything.
0: Your government thanks you for your participation
1: parties you predicted a much higher level of participation human nature does not obey the laws of politics
0: they all ex-military something funky going down D.
1: you're sending soldiers into the island disguised as citizens this country needs
0: for this to work
1: no one's coming to help us after tonight nothing will ever be the same again they forgot about one thing they forgot about us what have i done stay strong i'm coming Just remember all the good
0: The Purge does. All right. 2018 American dystopian action horror films directed by Gerard McMurray and stars uh, Yellen, uh or Ian Noel, Lex Scott Davis, uh, Jovian Wade, Mugga, Luna, uh, I'm sorry, Luna, Lauren Velez, Kristen Solis, and Marisa Tomei. This is the fourth installment of The Purge, uh, the Purge franchise. And this is actually the prequel showing how. Staten Island was chosen as the uh, test ground, I guess you could say, for what The Purge would ultimately become over the next few movies that you have seen. Now, I don't really have a lot to say about this movie, other than the actual setup, so like the first 15 minutes or so of the film to me was actually the best i thought this was the best setup of all the movies i actually kind of bought into the characters a little bit except for our leading lady her next door neighbor annoyed the piss out of me from the very moment i saw her but whatever um but the lead up to but the lead up to everything so the first 15 20 minutes where you're kind of getting introduced to all the characters oh except for um the 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 crazy guy um a skeletor i think is yeah uh played by rotimi paul except for skeletor skeletor is terrible the whole time i actually kind of, i bought into the characters I, I kind of liked the narrative i i was like okay you know what this might not be so bad And then the movie hits, like, the 20-minute mark. And then everything starts going hell in the handbasket. Because otherwise, what? why would you be here watching this movie? And the shenanigans ensue. Basically, again, just in case you didn't pick out this whole thing, this is the testing ground of The Purge. They chose Staten Island, obviously, because it's an island. So they can kind of contain it. And yet, we need to make sure that this thing gets off right. Shenanigans ensue, et cetera, et cetera. This movie is fucking stupid. It's fucking stupid. It is a waste of time. It is a waste of effort. And it is a waste, more importantly for me, of Marissa Tomei. I cannot believe she did this movie. I am so very sad. Maybe she lost a bet. I don't know. Maybe it was a contractual obligation.
1: I don't know. But but But, Matthew, most of her screen time was in that great scene that took place in front of a green screen. (laughs) <laughs> so memorable that was <laughs> but in her three lines time, dialogue
0: but which time because the oh my god the green screen was so fucking real Ah, uh, so irritated with all this shit um so at the end of the day do not waste your time on this movie it is absolutely terrible nothing is believable nothing is worth watching in this film I give this one a 1.5. And it only made it to 1.5 because I actually, for the most part, liked the first 20 minutes where they're actually setting everything up. 1.5. Yeah. Go ahead, Tim.
1: What a short review this will be. (laughs) I just wish the movie was as short I, uh, I this is a 1.5 movie for me as well. however, I liked the last act. I thought that's when the action was actually pretty good. Overall, I thought the performances in the movie, especially by the lead characters, uh, the woman and the main guy, uh, well I guess the man and the woman, they both shared the lead roles for what this movie is, I thought they were great and I I bought into their performances. I thought the filmmaking and some of the camera movements were inspired and accomplished, but, oh man, this movie is just boring as shit. I don't think I've yawned so much during a movie like I did during the first Purge. Seriously, I was yawning, folks. And it's frustrating because there is some stuff to like. But because of what the movie is... The good stuff is just completely overshadowed by all the really boring bullshit that you're supposed to get a kick out of, you know? And I know I'm not supposed to analyze this movie, but when you're dealing with a movie that feels like it was specifically made to get a rise out of the audience, as in it awkwardly felt overly political, it would have been great if it was a little bit more subdued and not completely in your face you know it would have been a great satire even if they just had more fun with the movie watching it i i was actually kind of depressed <laughs> not because i was tired but because you know some of this stuff i mean it it's true of course government throughout history totally has come down and does still Come down harder on poverty stricken communities. So there's no fun to be had. There are those two characters played by the two older women, and they're pushing around those carts. You know, they're the closest thing that feels like any of the other Purge movies because they're wacky, they're goofy, and they're completely psychotic. And even the Skeletor guy who pops up randomly has some kind of fun bits, but then dies randomly there at the end shows up and dies randomly at the end not a whole lot other than the basic story and those psychotic elderly women who go away pretty quick there's nothing else tonally that really connects this film with all the other ones it just takes itself way too seriously and matthew please tell me if the government was going to send out their best mercenaries to really get the purge going why would they send out these men consisting of costume characters straight from a BDSM convention. The best mercenaries apparently wear like leather jackets that go down to the ground, kind of like the Matrix.
0: That was actually one of the few things that I thought the movie did right beyond, like I said, what I liked about it. Um, so, so the idea is that they are hiding their faces mainly because. Despite the fact that they're supposedly unknown mercenaries, you get enough people, you get you you get 7 billion people watching something and your anonymity is pretty much out the window if you're not wearing a mask. Secondly, they chose things that people in the audience of the movie would view as alt-right, I'm using air quotes here, alt-right, far-right because anybody who's conservative is bad. And that's kind of the stage with which they are using, the, they're kind of throwing the propaganda out from the film, from that perspective. Obviously, the, even the whole New Founding Fathers thing, all that kind of stuff.
1: What I think the movie does do, interestingly, it doesn't outright attack the conservative people outside of those in politics and big government
0: oh no 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 it is absolutely making sure that anyone who is who would even remotely identify as conservative can see how bad what they believe in is wrong uh, and they do that with the new founding fathers uh party and again while i disagree politically um just on a personal level i still thought that was actually pretty slick i thought that was a very slick Uh, and, and well executed bit of the film from both a costume design and a director, uh, standpoint. Because, and, and to touch on what I mean by that is everything that the new founding fathers are about are tradition about bringing back everything that the original founding fathers were about and about family and religion and praying and putting you know what you believe your nation first and god first you know and everything which are um especially in say the south southeastern portion of the united states along with most of the flyover states that's kind of you know part and parcel of what makes red state americana red state americana and it is um thrusting that to the you know nth degree which at that point yes it is now um it it is now hyperbole which in which is in and of itself yes completely not what it is about but it shows that all those things are still based in what people who would identify in a conservative valuation of today from the audience's perspective um would probably agree with and i mean these are all things that the movie's trying to say that these these are all things, and and i don't fault the movie for that at all i fault the movie because it's fucking terrible i mean (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i don't like the uh I, I don't like the pacing i don't like the acting i don't like the storytelling i don't like I, I think the lighting uh especially in various aspects of the film um like they're trying to play off the contrast of all these different colored contacts that make no that, that, that don't make any sense in terms of why they're color-coded the way they're color-coded to begin with um so, you know so all those kinds of things i from a structural standpoint this movie is absolutely terrible which is why I don't like the movie but um I I can't uh it, but at any rate yeah so without turning it into turning it into something else we both hate the movie equally so
1: <laughs> way too political for a freaking purge movie produced by Michael Bay
0: yes agreed
1: 1.5 across the board so yeah now we can look forward to the purge tv series that that's why it felt like this movie was made to set up the I freaking really Purge TV show.
0: I agree, especially for those of you who, for those of you who stuck around through the credits to see the shtick for the Purge TV series.
1: Their mid credits surprise is a promo for the TV show on TBS or whatever.
0: <laughs> oh, see, I didn't even pay attention to what channel was coming on. I was like, okay, you gotta be kidding me. <sighs> All right, well then, that leaves us with ant-man and the wasp
1: so how long have you been ant-man again
0: not long It just sort of happened
1: i wish i could fight bad guys like
0: you i seem to mess it up almost
1: every time maybe you just need someone watching your back Ah, like a partner dr pan i actually heard what happened to you you opened up the quantum realm. That's when this crazy creepy ghost who like walks through walls and stuff. Stole your tech. And now she wants to take over the world or whatever.
0: Who would have believed that in your hour of need, you would turn to us? Not me. because I mean, we robbed you. Do you remember? That's us. The only chance you got. is both the deal. Ant-Man and the Wasp teaming up.
1: Follow my lead. She seems
0: more intense. You go low, I go high.
1: I have wings. Why would I go low? To we're gonna die. To I don't wanna die. To we didn't die! Hey, what'd I miss? We were just tiny.
0: I was partners with Hank on a project called Goliath. How big did you get? My record, 21 feet. You? 65 feet. 65. If you two are finished comparing sizes. 65. Yep. 2018 American superhero film. Uh, uh, and yeah, it's the sequel to Ant-Man. And uh, we're focusing on Ant-Man and the Wasp, where they now try and go get Wasp's mom out of the quantum realm. So that's kind of the movie. Um, all right. So, Tim was, like, putting out there on Twitter his complete and utter disdain for this film. And I was like, okay, well, man, this will be interesting because I'm about to go see the movie. And I figured at that point that it could not be Which Sorry, by the
1: way, I I didn't realize you would see that right before you're walking in to go see it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh no that's okay i, I mean you, you're not exactly a big fan of marvel movies so it's not like i was ex- i would have been shocked if you'd have come out and going holy fuck five stars that would have that would have shocked me <laughs> um so so i'm going in the movie and i'm and i you know we're putting out there on twitter we're doing our fun stuff on twitter uh it, you know it, it can't possibly be any worse than the purge And so when I got out of the movie, I said, well, I was right, but not for the reasons that you'd think. And this is what I mean. So I am a complete and utter sucker for Paul Rudd. I enjoy his writing style. I enjoy Michael Pena's delivery. I think that they have fun characters and the humor works for me. And so I can't help but like the movie because of the humor and the dialogue and so this movie gets a three mainly because i am a sucker for the dialogue and the humor and it makes the movie enjoyable strictly because of that beyond those things this movie is it's a fucking train wreck Oh my God! Is this movie a fucking train wreck? There's not even a bad guy. They're like they don't even understand how to structure. It's literally a three pronged chase for tech for the same technology. And if anybody with half of a brain would have just sat there and said, "Well, hang on, we need it for this, and you need it for this, and you need it for this," well, there's no reason why we can't all work together here. It's it's uh. What, what did Ebert call it, Tim? The, the, the idiot clause? Or is it an idiot film?
1: Yeah, probably, I think the idiot clause. That sounds about right.
0: So it's basically where a movie would never happen if people weren't so idiotic that they can't see past their own plot point. And that's what this movie is. All these people need different things. There really and truly is no bad guy. Um, you've got, um, Walter Gog Walton Goggins, who plays a, uh, a weapons, he's an arms dealer and a weapons dealer. And, um, he wants to, he wants to use the PIMS technology. Cause you know, the PIMS are on the run right now. Hank's, uh, yeah, Hank's on the run. Janet uh, Van Dyne is with him and, uh, hope. So they're, they're trying to figure this out so they can try and f- find where their mom is. You've got uh Scott, who is gets kind of roped back into this thing because he's actually kind of the conduit with which Janet, who was the who was the original wasp, is able to communicate with them because he was in, he made it to the quantum realm in the first film. You've then got Ghost, who's really just the, you know, this poor broken child who was this who, who was an accident, a freak accident from an experiment again with the quantum realm technology and she needs to get to this technology and everybody needs to get this technology for different reasons and you would think that kind of by default that would make walton goggins character quote the bad guy except he's just working on the grounds of getting the technology so that everybody can make money he just doesn't want to lose his lead on this technology. And the only reason that they have that he's in there is because Hank and Hope, instead of working out whatever it is they needed to work out so that they could be on the up and up, like Scott somehow magically did, um, then then they wouldn't need to be with him in the first place. So they're already just as much in the wrong as Walton Goggins' character, uh, Sonny Birch is his name, so they're already on the kind of the same equal footing. Then you have um, Ava Starr, played by Hannah John C- uh, Common, who is also Ghost. And she's the one who's just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And Lawrence Fishburne is the one, uh, as Bill Foster, is trying to help her do that. So it's really just a three-pronged race for the same technology. But there's no point in having it. And then there's just plot hole after plot hole after plot hole. I mean, there's this, like, lab. And the lab looks like a, you know, 15-story building. But in actuality, it it's just a lab. And so it can be shrunk down and stuff. And I'm like, they're running around with this thing. And when you shrink something, that doesn't make everything in the building magically not shake so what the fuck is going on so it just introduces all sorts of different plot holes um, everybody's stupid and just needed to work together from the beginning and this whole thing would have worked out i mean from a structural standpoint and from a story standpoint this movie is absolutely fucking terrible From a cute writing and character perspective of actors that you like, including Paul Rudd and uh, Michael Pena, and even uh, Evangeline Lilly and um, uh, Michael Douglas and Lawrence Fishburne and Walton Goggins, yes, you they're cute. You can't help but like them. And that is the only reason this gets a three from me is because I fully admit I am a sucker. But do not ex, do not go into this movie expecting a great superhero movie. It is, it is 100% evident at this point. If it wasn't before, it is, it should be 100% evident that the Ant-Man movies, such as they are, are simply meant to be the light, brisk, farcical aspect or farcical arm of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Don't take them seriously, don't expect form to make sense, don't expect a solid plot, but expect clever and witty writing to the extent that you're willing to go along with it, and fun dialogue and banter between the characters. I hope I did you justice there, I hope I did you proud, Tim.
1: Yeah, no, of course. I mean, this is a 2.5 out of 5 for me. I, I get it, I, I have no issue with the type of movie that Ant-Man and the Wasp is. I'm fine with something light and fun and entertaining when it comes to a Marvel movie, because that just means it's a different type of Marvel movie, and we all enjoy different flavors of Marvel movies. That didn't bother me at all. What does bother me is that what holds this movie together is the comedy, is that lightheartedness. And... I'm actually going to be seeing this movie again because I thought the movie started at 7.45 p.m. It actually started at 7.25 p.m. So I missed, I think, the first 10 minutes of it. And I'm not entirely sure if I missed some introduction that would have made this whole experience better. But because the comedy and the lightheartedness is what holds this film together... I just didn't think it was strong enough. I mean, the audience sounded like they either felt obligated to laugh at the dialogue, or they forced themselves to laugh at the dialogue, because it was unfunny comedy. And it just made for an awkward experience. Especially Michael Pena is not nearly as nuanced and somewhat funny as he was in the first Ant-Man. And that was my biggest issue with the, the first Ant-Man. I wasn't a big fan of Paul Rudd. I thought he came across more cheesy and in and, and out of place. He just didn't feel like an authentic superhero character, even though he's not he's supposed to be more of the man's man, common man superhero. And I'm totally cool with that. I just thought he was kind of miscast. But the foundation Again, the humor, the lightheartedness, I just didn't buy into. And people who love Marvel movies, who love Paul Rudd, who love Michael Pena, who love this kind of humor, which is humor that is really below-the-belt type of humor, that just slides by, that won't produce any hearty laughs, but might produce a couple chuckles from people. You know, from fans who enjoy that, You're going to pay the money to go see this and realize I kind of have to work at this laughing thing because it's difficult to find something to prompt it. That is why I give Ant-Man and the Wasp 2.5 out of 5. I especially was annoyed by the mid-credits sequence with the whole tie-in with Infinity War like, none of these fuckers realized that was going to happen. And everybody was like, oh, oh, my God. Oh, wow, my mind is blown. Who knew but that was going to happen? You knew that was going to happen, you fucking I idiot. I didn't. Oh, really? I
0: didn't. So then I'm a fucking idiot because I, oh, I didn't forgot. mean I wasn't
1: calling you one, but.
0: I, no, I, it's because I, along with everybody else in the theater, I had forgotten the timetable. And so I'm not. And, and so here I am thinking that the movie is taking place before Infinity Wars not during and after and so that's what blew my mind it also actually made made me realize this was why they couldn't use ant-man in infinity war they had made a brief mention to scott being on house arrest or something but it didn't click until after everything was done and then when you see how it gets pulled off it also makes sense as to why scott would have been out of play because I mean, let's face it, it's not like you couldn't have just taken Scott, shrunk him down to Ant-Man, stuck him inside of Thanos' ear, and then had him go up to full size and explode Thanos' head. So, um, so, so there, so there's that. Um, and it kind of made sense at that point, like, oh, yeah, that's why, uh, again, Infinity Wars Part 1 ended the way that it did. So for me, I was like, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense now. Okay. That, that, that actually helped with some things from Infinity, Infinity War. And I was like, okay, that was a cool ending. It also kind of re, helped, helped you to remember that, look, while the movie itself is lighthearted, the cinematic universe it takes place in is not lighthearted. And so it was a nice little reminder of that.
1: I'm still giving it a 2.5 out of 5. No,
0: you should. Yeah, absolutely. This is not, I just, you know, I was just trying to defend no, no, my... No, 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 no.
1: And uh, again, you know, I that, I mean, that, that was harsh. I get, but it's... I mean, it's stuff that... I mean... I don't know.
0: I, I, I saw it coming. Totally wasn't even thinking about it. I mean, I guess... I, I, By the time you got, by the time I got to the credits of that fucking movie, I was so done with it. I just did kind of like dismissed everything else. And so it caught me off guard because I wasn't even thinking about it.
1: And and I left right after that too. So I honestly don't even know what happens at the end of the credits. So apparently there's something else.
0: Oh, the end, end credits are stupid. It's basically the ant playing drums all by himself.
1: And that's it. Was he playing a good song?
0: No, I don't know. Ant was just playing the drums by itself. And then it says, Ant-Man and Wasp will return. And then the period
1: turns into a question mark. 2.5 out of 5. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll update you folks whenever I, I guess, watch it again. Fair enough.
0: All right. Well, then, uh, I guess that does bring us to the end of the movies. Next week's movies are going to be Roxanne, Roxanne, 2017's The Ritual, and The Twelfth Man from 2018. Uh, First two movies are going to be available on Netflix. Uh, The Twelfth Man is available on VOD. So, without further ado, I guess we're down to the spiel, are we not, sir?
1: Spiel on.
0: It's a complex combination lock. What do you think, Agent Sapien? Mm. Not good. With the number of symbols on the combination, we'll be here for days. Not necessarily. <laughs> Let me try my technique. Open it, Lucy.
1: I will not. Pretty, please. <laughs> <laughs> do you may, demon? Release really the yellow beast. Tear my eyes out, rip my <sighs> sides and my legs, and my tongue. But I will never open that door.
0: Is that your investigative technique? It said never. And well the music you've been listening to as always has been brought to us by our music partners Cries of Solace you can check them out at ReaverNation.com and Facebook.com both slash Cries of Solace as for us we are of course the SLS cast you can find us at SLScast.com you can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com you can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. you can follow me this is Matt on Twitter at NetTwit12345 you can of course combo with that information super and Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire and don't forget you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio as well as track us down on the old SoundCloud and google and a whole bunch of other stuff by now also if you'd like to support the show please do not hesitate to check us out at the old patreon so until next week this is matt saying that thanks to judy greer i get to say this i really believe waiting
1: tables and service industry jobs in general make you a better person take care cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week perhaps we should be going oh there we are monsieur. thank you so much So nice to see you, and I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur.